0: I'm Jonathan Robbins, and I'm Matthew Carvery, we're,
1: we're from, from Clutch, Clutch the, the Series, series and, and you you're listening, listening to, Genretainment.
0: to Genretainment. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment, right here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks,
2: and Julie, and today we have a jam-packed episode with not one, but two interviews.
0: We speak with Lisa Dean, the creator of the animated series Chill TV. Dean tells us how she taught herself animation to create her hip-hop animated web series, After that, we are joined by producer Thomas Bannister and director Justin Lutsky, who tell us about how they brought their ambitious found-footage-style action series, Armed Response to Life, on the YouTube channel Hardcoded.
2: Now, before we start, we want to encourage you to check out our two episodes last week covering LA WebFest, which is just packed with interviews from the creators of shows like Clutch, The Bloody Mary Show, Super Knocked Up, Drifter, Broken Road, Pairings, The Ladies and the Gents, and more.
0: We do want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend Tishon Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com.
2: Now let's get started with our interview with Lisa Dean, the creator of Chilltown TV.
3: Hey, this is Layla, and welcome to Chilltown TV, the home of scathing hip hop animated comedy. We got celebs. Clay Aikens? That's right. But I'm also a weed genie, and your wish is my command. We got crazy stories. Blame the pimp! Blame the pimp! Story of my life.
0: And we got the most insane advice
3: show you've ever
0: seen. We're well, listening to Entertainment and this is Marks. And Julie. And today we're speaking with uh, Webster's creator, Lisa Dean, the creator of the animated series Chilltown. Uh, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Well, can you tell our audience a little bit about Chilltown?
3: chilltown is an animated web series it's hip-hop oriented it's pretty wild it focuses on the lives and misadventures of three guys who are hip-hop heads they're kind of like misfits a little bit in a certain way um, it kind of just focuses on like their day-to-day lives like they're they, one of them or two of them have crappy day jobs um, you know girlfriend stuff um, a lot of it is kind of surreal most of it takes place in and around the music business um, there are a couple of extra characters. Um, the three main characters are G Marvin Platt and another two, uh, the other two characters are Caduce, um, who's G's cousin. He's a wannabe mogul in the music business and Caduce's girlfriend, Lele. Right
0: Now, uh,
2: Oh, and does, you said you are from New York. Um, does I the am. show take place in New York or?
3: No, the show actually takes place in Jersey City, and Chilltown is a slang word for Jersey City.
2: Okay.
0: Oh, okay. So, what's your background in um, in web series and filmmaking, animation? Yeah, and
2: in animation and art.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, um, I
3: have a, this is my first experience doing animation. I'm primarily a writer. And, um, I've, and I've focused just on television and I've been really lucky and I, I've sold a couple of shows to networks as well as to uh, TV, like, you know, production companies, but I was unlucky because I never got anything actually to go on the air or even go into production. So it was a very frustrating experience for me. Everything that I've done has been animation. Everything that I wrote was for animation just because I really like cartoons and I liked adult cartoons. So about five years ago, I was kind of, I guess at a crossroads to, a, you know, in a certain degree. Um, I had sold actually Chilltown to a network. I was in development for a really long time with the network. they never put it on the air. The rights reverted back to me. And, um, I really believed in the show and I wanted to do it and I couldn't afford to hire an animation company. So I taught myself how to animate. So this is my first experience animating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really impressive.
2: Yeah. The, the, the the animation, it's very, very good. What is your art background and experience and education?
3: I have no education. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have some education, but not an, not at the school of hard knocks. <laughs> 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 Not really. <laughs> um, um, I used to draw a lot when I was in middle school. And I felt I was pretty good at it, but I never really pursued it. I, you know, I went on to other things. In fact, I... um when I sold Chilltown originally, I had done it as a self-published comic book and I didn't even draw it myself because I didn't feel that, I felt that my art skills were just, you know, they weren't polished enough. I didn't feel I had experience doing comic books and stuff like that. And so I basically, it wasn't starting from scratch because I felt, I feel like I had some kind of innate ability to draw, but I literally spent a year kind of reteaching myself how to draw by just practicing with books. uh, Like I bought a couple of books that had Looney Tunes characters and things like that. And, um, just, you know, kind of reteaching myself how to draw.
2: Well, that's really fantastic. I I can't draw a stick person. so. (laughs) So I always, I'm always admire, you know, those who can draw because I, it always seemed like such a great skill. Like that would be so wonderful just to be able to draw something and no, it's not in the cards.
3: <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I found. I found that a lot of it is like a trick of your eye. It, it, if you have to kind of train your eye to look at things differently, like for example. Um, before I started doing this, I used to marvel at people who drew things that had really in-depth shadows and things like that. And when I did Chill Town, I when I was doing the background art, I realized I had to do a lot of shadows. And, and all I did was I just kind of started looking at things and just forcing myself to see the shadows. Because normally, like if you were to look at a wall, you wouldn't normally notice the shadows unless they were incredibly pronounced. But if you focus on just looking at the shadows then you see shadows you just notice the light you know because i guess like your brain doesn't doesn't focus on that because there's just too much information to take in for you know for with everything and once you just kind of look at it as reality all you have to do is copy it
2: she uh, makes it sound so easy, so easy. i think <laughs> <laughs> that's, We're that's bless your heart you're like oh, you want me to do it. no they really can't <laughs>
0: it sounds deep too it's like, see <laughs> <Yeah>. the shadows <laughs>
2: well, I,
3: I also had I also had help in that um, when I did the comic book I worked with a guy who was a really really wonderful artist named Chuck Frazier and he he's done a lot of stuff for Marvel and DC he was just really you know very very experienced and very skilled and even though I created the characters and you know I knew the way I wanted them to look and I worked with him back and forth and back and forth a million times to get what I wanted um he drew them for when, when we did the comic book. So he did turnaround sheets. And in animation, turnaround sheets are the sheets that animators and cartoonists use um, to show the different positions that characters are in. So, exa- for example, you'll have a character facing forward, facing um, a profile look, a three-quarter look, um, the back, and that way you kind of know, you know, three dimensionally what a character looks like. And so I had those already. So I had something to start with. And plus, when I had my deal with chill I, we, you know, part of what happened when, um, you know, when I was doing all of this was, um, when I say doing all of this, I mean, having my deal and being in development and everything, they flew me out to a million production companies. And in those meetings, you know, a couple of times production companies started putting together art. So again, I had mainly what they did was turnaround sheets. So I had all of that stuff. So it was kind of something to work with. I changed them, but it was something to work with.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, what was the genesis of Chilltown what did it pop in your head one day Was it a long time coming what what made you decide to even create this story
3: um well i i knew that i wanted to do um actually i the the way it started was i wanted to do a cd rom interestingly enough i wanted <laughs> to do a game and i wanted to do an immersive game and i kind of toyed around with the idea I'm I grew up in the Bronx I'm a hip-hop head I love hip-hop I grew up in and around hip-hop culture so it was the first thing that I thought of just because I really love hip-hop music and I love graffiti and I love all of that and I love cartoons so it just seemed like a natural kind of mix for me um nothing ever really took off with with that idea doing it one thing led to another and it became a comic book and I ended up selling it and that's that's kind of how it took off.
0: (laughs) Now, when you animate the show, like how long does it take to do one episode?
3: Um, billions of years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it probably feels like it, yeah, with all the details. Well,
3: it's it's the way you do animation, or the way I did animation was i i did I did an entire season at one time. So, I, it's hard to kind of say exactly how long it takes to do one particular episode, because what I did was I initially drew all the characters and then I initially I drew all the background art and I did them for everything for the entire season, not just for that one episode, because so much stuff was reused. and um, And then I recorded all the voiceovers and I did that for the entire season because, you know, again, certain things were reused a little bit.
2: So how long did that take?
3: It took a year to create the characters and to do the background art. And part of that was, I think it probably would, now it would take me a lot shorter. But I did over 200 characters and 400 pieces of background art. And I did walk cycles. Walk cycles and animation are these things where you, you create like a little couple of second thing of characters walking it because everybody's got like a little bit of a different personality when they walk and so you want to have them all look a little bit different and it's better to kind of pre-do that so then you just have the walk cycle done you can pop it in and kind of you know make it conform to the scene I was teaching myself not only how to animate but you know kind of how to draw in a way I mean I knew how to draw but you know kind of revisiting that so it took me a lot longer than I think it would take if I started from scratch today
2: now, what kind of software do you
3: use? Well, I used uh, Photoshop to do the background art. And the reason I use that, just for people who are like really techies and geeks and stuff like that, <laughs> is because I really love shows like Aqua Teen Hunger Force and I love Looney Tunes. And in Aqua Teen Hunger Force, as well as Looney Tunes, the backgrounds are always very complex versus very cartoony, and I wanted my backgrounds to look like that. I did the characters in Photoshop, in um, Adobe Flash, and I composited everything, the background and the animation, and I animated everything in Adobe Flash, and then I put it into Adobe um, After Effects to kind of put voiceovers and do special effects. And I edited it and did all the music and put the music into um, Final Cut Pro. So it was a lot of software that I used.
0: Wow. What uh, was behind the decision of making a a web series versus maybe, I guess you said you pitched it to other networks already. Uh, I don't know if there is such a thing as making it and and then giving the created product and trying to pitch it to network at that point or not. But
3: well it wasn't a cre it wasn't a created it was not a created product. I, I had pitched it to I actually only pitched it to a couple of networks and I sold it originally and we never went into production. They just all they really had was a script from me. So when when I left that deal, that's what I was left with was a script and just, you know, some turnaround sheets and my broken dreams.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this so, business is paved with those. <laughs> exactly.
3: I've heard that. <laughs> I've lived it. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, essentially the reason I decided to do a web series was because I saw what was going on with the internet and it was really, i I felt that at least I would be able to do my thing. I I didn't want to just, I felt like I was just going to be going around in circles, shopping and, you know, shopping and pitching and shopping and pitching. And, you know, even though I was more, way, way luckier than most people, you know, to have sold a few things, um, it's very, very very tough to to do that. And it's very, very tough to get something on the air. And I felt, well, at least this way, I can put it on the internet. and, And if people see it, I can probably resell it, or I might be able to resell it.
2: Plus, your brainchild will finally be out there for someone to actually see. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right,
0: exactly, <laughs> exactly. Is that the long-term plan for Chilltown then, that perhaps, is it to make tons of money off ads? Is it to sell DVDs? Is it to maybe get, now that it's out, get someone's attention, like, in a network or studio? Or continue with more seasons. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, my plan is is
3: I I don't know. I don't I don't think I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I think there are very few people make a lot of money from ads. Um yeah. <laughs> that's not I don't think that that's like a realistic thing. I mean, you never know, but I don't think that's too realistic. M- my plans for Chilltown or my ho- my hopes for Chilltown are that I can resell it as a series uh down the line. Um I'm hoping that I can either through uh, crowdsourcing or you know, whatever, you know, through a an, an online network or whatever, get the funding to do season two, because I can't do season two by myself. I mean, I, I can physically, but it would just, it would take too long. Um, I, you know, there'd just be too long of a period between season one and season two. Um, you know, I think the only way that I can really do it is to, you know, have a team and have a budget so I can actually hire people so it can be done like, let's say in a year.
2: I, um, am I correct? And you did some of the voices for I did. the show? I did. And, and, uh, so which ones did you do?
3: I do Lele and I, I did about 25 voices all together. <gasps> Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I did no, the only main character I did was Lele and the rest of them are just small little characters. I did do almost all of the female voices on the show, except for the ones that are obviously done by a male, like Victor Cruz, who's an incredible, incredible actor and a great comedian did a couple of the female voices. And he did, um, in, in episode three, he did, um, uh, I know it was episode two he did for lack of a better word. Um, a skeezer dwarf (laughs) (laughs) named Cindy. (laughs) And, um, I, I just, I, it's so unexpected because his voice is so gravelly. It's so unexpected to hear a guy doing a female
2: voice. It's great.
3: (laughs) And he's, he did a few of them, but uh, almost all the rest of the female voices I did. And I, you know, I did three series. I have another series, which I haven't even released yet, which I'm hoping to release, um, at the end of the year or in January of, um, 2014. And, um, and that series I did that the 25 voices that includes for that series as well
2: <laughs> now we're uh, was doing different voices, something that you found you had a knack for growing up? I mean, did you torment your parents and your siblings <laughs> with, <laughs> with lots of different voices? And <laughs> no, I
3: think, I think I just have an ear for it. And um, I always could, I, I have a pretty good ear. I, can, I can't imitate everybody's voice, but I'm pretty good at doing that. And also, whenever I write, I, I talk all the lines of dialogue. And so, because I, I guess I have to hear the way it sounds. That's um, a
2: very good idea, by the way. <laughs>
3: Well, I don't do it on, on purpose. I just kind of do it, so it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> Luckily, I work at home. I don't work in Starbucks. Otherwise, they cart me off to a mental institution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that so it makes it it makes it a lot easier because I already I really know what I want them to sound like. So.
0: Well, they all have unique speech patterns, the, mm-hmm. and and you get real nice, crisp dialogue exchanges. Right. Yeah. So.
2: And now, how did you find your other voice artists?
3: I was lucky, and some of them um, for Chill I'd worked with before. Um, a few of them, like uh, Richie Bulldog, who does Plaid, who's just an incredible comedian, incredible stand-up comedian, and Gil T, who plays Lightning Rob and plays Carly Carl, and Dante Nero, who plays Marv. I worked with them before, but they did a pilot for me, a pilot that sadly wasn't picked up. <laughs> Yet another pilot that wasn't picked up. And I just loved working with all of them. And in fact, I had, when I did Chilltown, I had them in in mind immediately when I was writing, I had their voices in mind when I was doing it. And I just hoped that they would do it. And luckily they liked working with me as well. So they agreed. And, um, Wilson Vince, who's another incredible comedian. He's, you know, he's on Chappelle show and he, he's working right now, opening for the Wayans brothers. um, He's been at it, at it for a very long time, and very talented guy. Um, I found him back in MySpace days, because I mean, this goes back five years ago when I when I reached out to him, and I I knew who he was. I heard his voice, and I was I was, oh, I have to use this guy, and I wrote to him. I just cold call or cold emailed him on MySpace, and I said, "Will, I love your voice. I'm doing a cartoon series. I, you know, I don't have that much budget, but." Please, please, will you do my cartoon series? And he and he said, I love your art. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, great! So it was great, and it was it was it was a wonderful experience working with every single one of them. Um, it it was a b- weird kind of thing recording the voices because I think a lot of animated shows record people together, and I didn't have that setup because people just came to my apartment. So I recorded everybody individually, and I recorded an entire season in one day. So it took everybody typically about two two or three hours to record the entire season. And then I had to splice everything together. So it was a really, really tough job.
2: Yeah, very time-consuming. Oh, um, yeah. now, now you mentioned you know all these comedians working with you, and obviously this is a, a comic show. Right. Can you explain to our listeners, uh, can you t- try to describe the humor they can expect when they tune in and uh, watch Chill Town?
3: Sure. It's kind of like... Um, it's, it's based on who my influences are, which are Richard Pryor, uh, Patrice O'Neill, Dave Chappelle. It's, it's definitely, it's very edgy. It's raw. Um, I feel it's smart. It's not, not that broad in a way. Mm-hmm. Like Chris Rock is another person who's a big, big influence for me. And, you know, things that kind of make you think a little bit. Um, so that's the kind of humor. There's a lot of cursing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> they can't. You can't do that on the internet. <laughs> I know.
3: I know. So I'm shocked. Shocked. There's shocking, cursing shocking. going on in this establishment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's going to become of the internet now that we allow these sorts of things <laughs> to happen?
3: <laughs> well, I kind of felt once I once I looked at at Jenna Marbles, who I, I love her show by the way, and once I looked at Jenna Marbles and I realized, okay, Jenna Marbles' audience are like. 10 and 11 year old girls and she curses throughout her entire show. I figure, okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you grew up like we did, you know, I, I could watch shows that had cussing when I was growing up, but I sure knew better than to try doing it myself. <laughs> right. right. They can do it because they're on TV. <laughs> right. Right. It's a big difference. Now, I mean- can you explain the guy in the box?
3: Yeah. Okay. The pimp head, the pimp head in the box, (laughs) the pimp in a box. (laughs) Um, basically that's Lightning Rob. Lightning Rob is a pimp. Um, he's a decapitated, he's a living decapitated pimp head. Um, (laughs) I, I decided to have him be decapitated because I just always thought that was funny. Um, just having like talking decapitated characters, which, you know, it's been done a bit. And (laughs) yeah and and yeah. you know on on in the show in living color they had um they had a bit called head detective which was you know just like a head and um and so i i i really like that and i also felt that a lot of, a lot of times in hip hop culture or in rap culture there's a big focus on pimps and i thought that you know a lot of pimp culture is you know, aside from the obvious that it's horrible and exploitative and and criminal and all of that kind of stuff, it's also really pretty crazy and goofy in many ways. Um, It's pretty preposterous. So I decided to create um, a parody of a pimp. And so this character, Lightning Rob. He's a parody of a of a pimp. He's very angst ridden. He's got he has panic attacks. He's very self involved, and you know he's decapitated. And, I, and the only reason I put him in a box is because I was just trying to figure out how would the characters carry him, and if he, you know it'd be too hard for me to animate them literally just carrying the head around it would be just really disgusting so I put in a box so it would be easier for them just to carry and I never even animated them really I have only one character carrying the box but it's a little easier I think to have them you know just carrying the box around Yeah. And so that's that's who that character is. And he, I had him have little tiny little thalidomide hands because <laughs> in, pimp, <laughs> cause in pimp culture, there's also a thing which also you see a lot in in rap videos. And you see, you know, when you know, when you watch this kind of stuff, there's a thing called a chalice cup, and pimps have a chalice, and and it's this big ornate cup that sometimes it says "pimp" and things like that on it, and they carry a cup, you know, like you know, I guess like perpetually toasting themselves. And so I wanted him to have the chalice cup because I wanted him to be able to beat people on, you know, with the chalice cup. And so, so I need, I need to have one of
0: those. No, no.
3: (laughs) He will be returning by the way. I have a, I have a Halloween episode, which of course is not going to be launching in October. It will be launching in a couple of months. And, um, it's, it is called the return of lightning. Rob, Ah, (laughs) he'll be back.
2: So Lightning Rob fans, he will he will be back for Halloween special. Yes, he will. And,
3: he, and, and if I do a season two, he will be back as well because a lot of people like him.
2: Well, that's not a character you see every day.
0: And yeah. I'm curious, uh, you know, comedians, at least the comedians I've worked with in the past, sometimes like to try to improv a little bit. Yes. And And I know they're... They couldn't improv a whole lot because they're not with each other. But right. uh, I, I'm curious if they, if any of them, when they recorded their voices, tried to tweak a little bit, and maybe you kept some of that.
3: I did. There was there was very very little of it. There, I'd say 99 percent of it was on script, and um, there was n- none of that, no ad libbing. But there were a couple of a couple of instances where there were there was ad-libbing. I mean, aside from inflection and things like that, which were, you know, which was great. Um, one of them was, um, which per- I purposely set it up for an ad-lib, Richie Bulldog, there's a character called Scott Storch, which is based on the real Scott Storch. Scott Storch, if listeners don't know, is a person who is an enormously, enormously famous producer in hip-hop a long time ago, meaning four years ago (laughs) and he and he was he's you know he he made a lot of hit records he you know he he reached a level where he had he made millions and millions and millions of dollars and had yachts and had ornate mansions and the whole thing and he lost most of that. And, and he was kind of like a preposterous type of character in a lot of ways. And I decided to make him into a wah-wah pedal because a lot of chill town is, is kind of surreal. And I, I guess I was thinking in Charlie Brown that wah, 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 you know, somebody who just always, talks. <laughs> how all the
2: adults sound like that. Yeah.
3: Right. And so I wanted him to, to kind of be like that, although he doesn't quite sound like that. So I have him working, uh, because his career has just fallen off so much. He's working, doing a sex advice show at a pirate radio station. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, um, and so there's part part of this scene, which is, you know, in, in one of the episodes, um, it, he, he has a, a, you know, he's on the air and he says, well, you know, I was going to play my latest record, but I couldn't bring the tracks down here for legal reasons. So I hum a few bars to you. <laughs> and so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just said to Richie Bulldog, just do whatever you want. <laughs> uh-huh. And he I just let him record for like, I don't know, it had to have been 15 minutes. And I Tears were rolling down my. It was so funny because he's like, bwah, 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 bwah. it was so <laughs> funny. It was really, really funny, and he just completely ad libbed that entire thing. It was, it was wonderful. And another thing, another ad lib part was Will Vince, where um, there's in in episodes, actually a number of episodes, but the characters introduced in episode four the character of LaRab. LaRab is this horrible, horrible psycho, like the worst boss you'd ever want. And he, he's like a mogul and he he runs a record label called Massive Death Records. And I knew that I wanted him just to be really over the top and crazy. And Will Vince actually came up with the idea of having LaRab spell out his name all the time and try to st- spell things. So he always says, it's LaRab. L-E-R-O-B, Le Rob, <laughs> And I just loved that. I thought it was really, really funny. And so I kept it and ended up having Will's Vince actually in certain things because Larob comes for almost all the rest of the episodes for season one. And, and having Le Rob spell out other words as well.
0: <laughs> you know, I think it would be really fun for the audience if maybe you could perhaps do a few of the voices you okay. you're doing a little bit of the infliction there whenever you're talking about the other characters. But, you know, some of the female voices that you do be kind of kind of fun.
3: OK. Hey, this is Lele. Um, this is Lele's voice. I do her show every single week. Lele has her own show now. It's called Lele's Ratchet Advice Show. And that's Lele. Um, let's see. Another voice is somebody who called in is Scott Storch's ex-girlfriend. Hello, Scott. Um, Okay. First he gets me pregnant. Then he beats the enemy with a can of Febreze. I didn't want to curse by the way on your show. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> then he will return my calls or texts. He only like, like, like $400,000 and 59 cents. I mean, <laughs> 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 and that character, by the way, you don't even see her. She's just, she's a caller on the radio. That character is based on somebody I saw who I don't even know I saw in a candy store who said one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Um, I walked into this candy store, and there was this woman there, and she was Dominican, and she was with her son who looked like he was about two years old, and he was crying and whining because he was a little kid. And she looked at him, and she said, Why are you so desperate? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I don't know. It was just the...
2: <laughs> it was like the two-year-old's going to be able to answer honestly right. why are <laughs> you so
3: desperate and so <laughs> it was like the greatest rhetorical kind of question almost rhetorical question i've ever heard and so i just always remembered her voice and i always wanted to do her voice as a character even though i don't know her <laughs> <laughs>
2: Unnamed woman in candy store, <laughs>
3: right, right, <He> became <laughs> Scott Storch's ex-girlfriend. He was trying to get child support. <laughs> Who I unbelievably, I wrote that by the way, and this year it was revealed that he actually is battling child support because he's not paying child support. So unbelievably, <laughs> I actually I wrote it and it became true. <laughs> wow. Sadly, sadly for Scott Storch <laughs> the real uh, Scott Storage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know, for other people out there that might be wanting to do a web series or or try to go into animation, do you have any kind of do's or don'ts that you learned along the way? Perhaps mistakes you made made it harder for you on doing animation or perhaps lessons you learned on on trying to distribute or promote your web series?
3: Oh, (laughs) I could spend at least five hours telling you there was at least
2: minimum. Maybe a little uh, more condensed than five hours, Okay, just a couple of things. Exactly.
3: Okay, for, well first of all for distribution the, the biggest mistake I think that I made was I wasn't really involved with social media before I started. Um, mainly because I was so busy animating it took all of my time you know just to kind of create the show. Um, and if I had to do it all over again I would have started getting involved with social media at least a year before and developing relationships with people and building a community and building up friends and stuff and, you know, just becoming immersed in that because that way you have a platform for your show to jump off into. You have people who are really waiting for it. I had 80 people who, you know, I, I would update my Facebook page once every eight months and so I essentially had nobody waiting for my show whatsoever. <laughs> so that was a really, that was an enormously big mistake. Um, with animation, I, I don't, I can't even t- I know I've made mistakes and I don't even know what they are because. I- <laughs>
2: You're still figuring out their mistakes at I'm this still point. trying to figure
3: out what they are. And so, <laughs> um, I, I think, I think in a way I, I thought it out pretty well, you know, I mean, with with the animation. Um, But the tips that I could give people um, for animation are, um, (laughs) if you want to do it, you have to really, really, really love doing it because it's an enormous time commitment. Um, and for me, I ended up loving doing it. It it was an incredibly gratifying experience, but it takes a really long time to do. So it's not something, it's not like, you you know, you can just take a camera and just get a bunch of people together and record something. It takes an enormous investment. So you have to really be willing to, you know, allocate a long time. If you want to have something that looks good, you can do something that looks, you know, that's not, not very good. And that you can probably pop that off you know, in a short amount of time. But if you want to have something that looks good, you're going to have to invest a lot of time.
0: I think those are some really good tips. Yeah. Um, What do you think now that you're kind of immersed yourself in this web television community, you know, what do you think the future of web series television is for, for independent web series creators like yourself?
3: Oh gee, I, I don't know. Um, it's it's hard to say because things are changing so quickly. I mean, part of it, it's it's incredibly thrilling to be a part of the community because in general everybody is so cool and it's it's they're great. Um, but as an indie person it's definitely it's very challenging because the only shows that get enormous views are shows that are with networks and those shows tend to be much bigger shows that either have you know you can hear i don't know if you can hear sirens in the background you can say yes i am from new york city
0: (laughs) we believe you now we weren't sure yeah now now we
3: get it that's not a sound effect and that's (laughs) my block and so um <laughs> at any rate I think that you know shows that really get enormous views tend to have celebrities tend to be with big networks or tend to be those kind of shows where people are just talking into a camera, you know, those those like real, real YouTube shows. So it's it's very very challenging for people like me, who's you know who's just an indie producer. It's, it's incredibly challenging. I I couldn't begin to tell you what the future holds. I hope thing I hope that there are more networks that pop up that cater specifically to us that can help generate views because I know there's an audience out there. There's no question about it. It's just, you know, it's hard to get people to realize that when you're competing with major celebrities and major money.
2: Yeah, the hard part is, um, they're, you know, it, the good thing is that the Internet is... Basically infinite, but the bad news is it's basically infinite. Right. So, so the chances of someone stumbling upon your site, you know, it gets it's smaller great. and smaller.
3: Exactly. I, in fact, I, I just started a blog a few weeks ago called "Adventures of a Web Series Newbie," where I, you know, it's kind of like rants and stories and stuff about, you know, my experiences and and um, it's not a how-to. It's you know, at it, it best, it's a how how not to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, kids, um, don't try this at home. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But, it, you know,
3: kind of, you know, I talk about, you know, different things, like when I go down to, you know, YouTube and experiences I've had with other creators, as well as, you know, stories of meeting people and, and opportunities that happen or, you know, slip away and things like that.
0: What do you have coming up? What, what do you have coming up? Chilltown town wise? Shameless else?
2: plug time.
0: Yes. Let us know.
3: Shameless plug time. I have on coming up on uh, Tuesday. I have a brand new Lele show. I I release a new Lele's Ratchet Advice show every two weeks on a Tuesday. So a brand new one is coming up. And on the 3rd, I have a brand new Chilltown coming out which is episode 6 so everybody please watch it. In the fall I'm relaunching Chilltown and it's kind of top secret a bit what I'm doing but I'm there are a bunch of celebrities that are going to be involved and it's going to be a pretty big thing hopefully. <laughs> if not, you know, I'll come here and I'll be crying my eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so those are the main things that are going on. I also have a couple of collaborations that are going on that, you know, I'll, I, if you go to my website, which is chilltowntv.com, or you go to my blog, which is chilltowntv at WordPress, I'm definitely going to be talking about that And in the next month or so. I'll be doing a number of collaborations, which should be fun and um. Everybody, come in. Everything is for me is Chilltown TV. Um, my website is Chilltown TV. My YouTube channel. Which, please, go to the YouTube channel and please subscribe. And if you like the videos, please like them. And if you don't like them, please don't click. Dis- don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Just mutter about me under your breath and say, "Oh God." <laughs>
2: um, yes, you gotta love those dislikes and comment yes, sections. Uh-
0: oh.
3: I, I've been really lucky that I haven't gotten. I, I haven't really gotten any negative comments. I've been really lucky about that. I've only. I've only had one negative comment since I started this, which is unbelievable. Oh, knock was, on wood. Yeah, <laughs> knock on wood. Yeah, I mean.
0: <laughs> Some troll is gonna listen to this and be like, "Oh, really? Well, we'll that. exactly.
3: <laughs> exactly. I've been. I've been really lucky. Um, But you know, I guess that's part. That's part of what it is. You know, I mean, you know, not everybody's gonna like what you do. So it's that's that's the way life is. But at any rate, all of my stuff is Chilltown TV. So if you go to YouTube, it's YouTube.com forward slash Chilltown TV. I'm on Twitter at Chilltown TV. I'm on Facebook at chilltown tv so please friend me say you heard me talking on the show say you know oh, i'd like to buy you a drink you know your story sounds really sad
0: or, or sounds great but new york sounds scary so i'm not right, gonna-
3: new york sounds scary i'll send you a bulletproof vest you know <laughs> um, so please you know i i i comment back to every single person who writes to me so you know, if you if you like this stuff and, and enjoy it, please write to me and, and um, I'd be happy to hear from you. And please say you heard about me here.
0: Great. That's
2: great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: I'm Ben Baves, executive producer of 8 and 5, the web series, and you're listening to Genretainment.
2: Well, thanks to Lisa for taking the time to chat with us, and we wish her luck on her series, and I can't get over how she taught herself that animation <laughs> just to make her own show. That is really good.
0: Now, let's get to our interview with the creative team behind the YouTube action series Armed Response.
1: What Adam 12, do you copy?
4: What Adam 12 copies? Go ahead.
1: Be advised, we have a report
2: of a possible 417 at the Marine Terminal. A dock worker called in and said he thought he saw someone with a gun in a warehouse. Code 2, please proceed with caution.
4: 1M12 copies. We're 10-8 en route now. (laughs) Copy and confirm.
0: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Entertainment. This is Marks. And
4: Julie. And today we have with us producer Thomas Bannister and director Justin Lutzky to tell us about their new action series, Armed Response, which recently premiered on the YouTube channel Hard Coded. So, hi, Thomas and Justin, and welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Hey, guys. Well, to start off, can you uh, tell us what our audience can expect from Armed Response?
5: Yeah, so Armed Response is a new web series that we created that's a found footage project that drops the viewer right into the middle of a high-octane gunfight for about 20 minutes. It involves an SRT unit and involved in a tactical situation where they're going up against a uh, drug cartel which they stumble upon at the Port of Long Beach. And our goal was to sort of recreate what it's like to be right in the middle of an intense firefight with bullets whizzing by and to, to gain that sort of perspective of helmet cameras and security cameras and cameras right in the thick of of, of that kind of a situation. Great. And, uh, Tom, you have uh, – I mean, you were very inspired by the way that we consume media these days, and I think that was
1: part of, of what this yeah, project I mean, was. absolutely. I mean, I think Justin mentioned storytelling earlier. Uh, If you think about how we now come to stories online, you know, if you think about the the Russian uh, the comet in Russia or, you know, any of the way that news breaks these days, we very much come to these stories from a kind of found footage citizen journalism perspective. Like we're right there in the moment of breaking news often from multiple perspectives of kind of unassuming people who've been caught up in a situation. And that's really, you know, a huge part of storytelling on the web is, is now merging entertainment and news and, you know, average people who get caught up in these events and film it, and then it kind of plays out online. So I think Justin and I were very much inspired by that and, you know, in some ways very dark stories, uh, you know, like the the, the the tsunamis in Thailand or Japan or or perhaps more inspirational stuff like the comet in Russia, but we we were kind of Fascinated by how these stories unfold, and they're told from these citizen journalists and unassuming people, and and, and we really wanted to take that filmmaking style and merge it with the action genre. So merge it with the 24s and the Diehards, and you know, and that kind of action way of telling a story that we, that we've seen over the last 20 years that Justin loves, and and, and kind of try and merge those two styles. And I think Armed Response is our attempt at that. So. In, in, on the one hand, we're trying to be realistic and and, and emulate reality and, and do that, but on the other hand, we're you know we're trying to tell a Hollywood story and take people on a wild ride. So I think our response comes out of those trying to achieve those two aims and merge them together. We got to live our teenage fantasies of you know being producing uh, you know an action movie. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to make and, and to see people react to it. It's fun to watch.
4: I bet bet all the actors are having a good time, too. It's always fun to get to run around and cause destruction. Yes.
1: (laughs) Apart apart from uh, episode three, which is is, uh, a lot of that was shot at a sewage place, and it absolutely Uh. stank. Other than that, that, it was a lot of fun.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the sewer was the highlight of everyone's experience.
0: A lot of complaints that day. <laughs> now, it's 20 minutes of, of actual episode content. How long did it take to actually shoot all that 20 minutes?
5: Four, four and a half days, basically. We shot uh, all days at, in and around Long Beach, and it was a pretty ambitious schedule, for sure. There's a lot to shoot. I think the script was, what, 20 pages, and it's a lot uh, action. I mean, it always takes like three times as long to shoot, so mm-hmm. we were constantly moving, constantly having to keep going, and no rest for five days straight,
1: basically. <laughs> we knew going in that we had to shoot it before November, otherwise we wouldn't get the opportunity to shoot it again until March, because it just it needed that amount of daylight. It's all shut outside, okay. so we knew that if we didn't get it done by the end of October, that it would be six months until we could get it done, which you know may have changed everything. So, um, and I think you see that in episode one, like you see it, you know, we're really fighting the sun. On, on, on in parts of that episode. Mm-hmm.
4: Now, as far as location goes, can you tell us where the locations were and how hard were they to get for this show?
1: We filmed at the Port of Long Beach and I think that the, the location was a big factor in us being able to do this. Like Justin and I looked at a lot of different ports from San Diego to San Francisco and Santa Barbara. Like We looked at filming all the way along the, the California coast and we were kind of like you know, where the hell are we going to do this? And then we worked <laughs> out with that, with that terminal. And, you know, we, we became friends with a lot of longshoremen. i am on a lot of like emailing lists now with, with, uh, with longshoremen. And, um, you know, we, they were absolutely awesome. Like right? the, the guys who ran that terminal were just fantastic and allowed us access to the cranes and moved around the shipping containers and just became part of the filmmaking process. You know, yeah. that's so, great. Cause yeah,
4: the location looked amazing, really
5: yeah yeah the location and the set piece really was kind of like the centerpiece for everything that took place and mm-hmm. getting that locked in was key to everything else that fell into place after and also it's super important to get a location that's really excited about what you're doing and friendly to what you're trying to do, especially when you're trying to pull off you know such a large type of a project where you're coming in with with police officers and vehicles <laughs> and guns and weapons and firing live ammunition. That, <laughs> There's no getting around, having the support of your location in that situation.
4: There's no sneaking in in that
1: instance, no. really. <laughs> yeah. We, we knew that if we, you know, if we were filming like on a street, what we wanted to do, like we would probably be arrested. So we knew that we needed that kind of locked off location that was totally separate from the world, mm-hmm. um, that was a totally controlled environment, and that's what that terminal became. You know, you can have guys running around in suicide bomb vests without it creating, like, <laughs> panic. As I was going to say, the bomb
4: vests and the guns do tend to make people nervous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Justin and I actually had, like, an actual conversation about maybe taking the suicide vest down to South by Southwest, and I don't think either of us thought, like, how are we going to get it on the plane? <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, you're going to get yourself a one-way ticket to Gitmo, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, one of the selling points, one of the parts of the pitching of the show is is who uh, is one of the writers of the show. He wrote for 24 and wrote quite a bit for Star Wars, Clone Wars. So how did this whole project get involved? Did he bring the idea to all of you? Do you know each other? You know, how did Arm Response come about?
1: We came up up with the idea and, you know, I think Arm Response really initially came from phone calls really between Justin and I, like, you know, We'd wanted to work on a project together and we'd we'd developed a few other ones and it just, you know, talked a lot and Justin had come to some of our SXM shoots and and our response kind of came out of that dialogue between Justin and I Mm -hmm. and we found, we decided on the story and the plot and then found the location and then we went out in search of a writer and we were very lucky to, to find Matt who you know, was exactly what we were looking for. I think Justin and I are both huge fans of 24 and and that style of storytelling, and uh, you know, we talked a lot about how can we do found footage but in a 24 style. Um, you know, how can we try and cross that divide between 24 and found footage? So we 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 purposefully went out looking for someone with that kind of experience, and we were very lucky that Matt agreed to do it and became invested in it as he did, and you know, and. And then from there, we had the story, we had the port, we knew the kind of outline of the story and the characters, and and it kind of developed from there. So I think Justin, Matt, and I did three walkthroughs of the port over about three months, and they were just kind of amazing. You know, we all got very sunburned. but They are just kind of amazing (laughs) sessions of us just basically like wandering around a port, talking about a story and how we would bring out the elements and what we would do where. and And then Matt went back and wrote it, you know. after those those
5: walkthroughs. In a lot of ways, Matt, I mean, it was really instrumental in reverse engineering the action to take place around this location. And in a lot of ways, it was kind of like blocking a play almost as opposed to to writing a screenplay in the traditional sense because you're really having to write for the locations and the the resources that you have at your disposal when you're working on a micro-budget project.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, so there are four episodes. Are there going to be any more episodes? Is this sort of like your pilot testing out the waters, or do you have more episodes I mean, planned?
1: I think we'd love to do more personally at least i you know, I kind of loved this process of making this show and uh you know it is an amazing project to work on and so I'd love to do more. so yeah, I think we very much hope that you know either we do more of the story or we you know or just the storytelling like this style of production.
0: Like you said, it's a found footage show. Everything's POV type shots. Either they're helmet cams, or uh, or security cameras. Mm-hmm. So, how did you do those POV shots? Especially the helmet cams. Were those done with cameras similar to the helmet cams that might actually be used, or was that something more like standard film equipment, like GoPros that are popular for shots like that?
5: Yeah. So that was like that was something we questioned early on. Is do we shoot this with actual helmet cams or or real cams, Um, and we we went with the real cam approach. I mean, I come from a pretty traditional film narrative background, so my instinct is to always have bigger, better cameras and get the best image possible. Mm -hmm. And so at first we actually thought about using like an Alexa and and rigging that to a camera operator's shoulder in such a way that it mimicked a helmet cam, but it just became too cumbersome to try that. So what we ended up doing was building basically out of bicycle helmets, camera mounts for digital SLR cameras. We used Canon digital SLRs because we wanted to be able to ch- change lenses, mm-hmm. and you can't switch lenses on GoPros or, or anything smaller than that. So the the digital SLR was the biggest camera we could sort of practically mount on on an actor's head and still allow them to move around without getting in the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kind of getting a little techie here, I guess, but I'm <laughs> yeah. kind of curious with the DSLRs. You know, there's that rolling shutter effect that happens sometimes. Did you have any issues with that because they're moving around so much, or was it not, not a big issue at all?
5: That was a concern. But to be honest, we were jumping into this so fast, we didn't have nearly enough time to do proper camera test, so we kind of got lucky. <laughs> and that was that was definitely a concern of mine. At the time, I mean, the other alternative was GoPro, and the, the newest ones weren't out yet. Had the newest, I think the GoPro 3s been out, that probably would have been a strong contender for... Uh, an alternative, because it would have been easier to shoot with. We probably could have had more of them at any given time.
4: You so, didn't have a chance to overthink right, it. At exactly.
5: All. It's like we didn't we didn't have the luxury of of overthinking <laughs> it, so we really just had to pull the trigger on what we knew would uh, be okay. And, and honestly, a lot of those helmet cameras have that same issue. So if we're if we were going for the realistic, you know, image, a rolling shutter, or kind of a wobbly image here and there, and the in the thick of the action, actually brings a
1: little bit of authenticity to it. Ah, so. I think our biggest issue on that shoot, and it's often an issue that I find in general, is like getting Video Village to work. And yes, it's amazing. You know, we're in this technological age, but like just getting to be able to watch what you're shooting on Video Village sometimes. Get like I wish Apple would like figure out how to do Video Village, because it's amazing how many shoots it never works. And on this <laughs> one, because we were like literally following if you think about episode one like they jump out of a SWAT van and they run into that building like trying to get follow that and like see it on a video village and actually see what you were filming was a total nightmare so I think in that that first day Justin and I was very frightening because we were like trying to like figure like what are, what are we shooting here like we, we couldn't even see some some of that first day uh and what we were filming so it was kind of a frightening, and like halfway through day number two, I'd say we finally kind of figured out how to kind of get Video, Video Village to work in that style, where we could kind of like follow it, what we were actually filming. Mm-hmm. But it was it was quite frightening that first day to just kind of jump into that style.
0: I bet so, because if you can't see it, you know, their their helmets could get slide and you could just get lost sky or ground and no <laughs> know until later <laughs> it'd be very scary
1: <laughs> yeah no there was there was a few points I mean the, the interesting thing about that first day in this style of filmmaking is the more characters you have the, the longer it takes so what we didn't know going in was that first day when all of the SWAT team are still alive is the biggest day because like you have to film everyone's POV once they start dying uh, and you get into the episodes, it's much, much easier. So episode four in the marina is really just kind of two POVs, Kara and, and Morgan. And that's a lot easier than, like, filming seven or eight POVs because you have to film everyone. You don't know what you're going to use or what, what you're not going to use. So that first day, I think, was was, was, a, was a very tough day. We didn't quite know what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah, but we got through that... a... <laughs> it.
4: So you were wishing you killed more people off sooner, weren't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <coughs> Did that motivate you
0: to kill the motherfucker? <laughs>
4: Script change, now you're dead.
0: <laughs> Before I forget, uh Justin, I think I was looking you up on IMDb and I saw a film Bon Appetit that you worked on and I and I'm pretty sure I watched it uh years back at Dragon Con and, and really enjoyed it. So. Oh yeah. So I just and that's an action kind of film, too. So
5: Yeah, my my thing has always been sort of mainstream action, action comedy, and Bon Appetit was my thesis film way back when at, from Chapman University. Mm-hmm. If you like Bon Appetit, you should check out The Action Hero's Guide to Saving Lives. We did that a couple of years ago with Patrick Warburton, and that is um, oh. very much in the same vein of action and comedy, but uh, I think a more accomplished piece of work. But I'm, I'm glad you were a fan of Bon Appetit. <laughs>
0: Cool, I'll have to check that
1: one out. So...
0: And now in a directing standpoint, was it difficult for you? Is there some unique challenges directing a POV type show? Besides uh, Video Village, was there any other challenges? Like trying to get the performances to come through whenever it's being recorded that way?
5: Yeah, I mean, most definitely this was a huge challenge. Um, I mean, my initial interest is not to do found footage type stuff, so Mm -hmm. I went into this kind of with an open mind trying to you know, f- almost figured out as I went, but certainly you you can't do basic things like when you need to see an actor's face, you can't just get a shot of their face. So planning planning when one actor looks at another actor because we have to see something they say or we have to see a reaction on their face, I mean, it's a whole other element to like consider. Um, a lot of times, we're basically using the actors as, as moving tripods. And so I don't think we're making the, the, the best use out of them, them as, <laughs> as performers and figuring out how to kind of work in shots where we actually see them was a challenge. Like in episode four, even though technically there wouldn't be a camera there, we justified a backwards looking camera from the point of view of the gun, looking back on um, Kara, the, mm-hmm. the character of Kara. And so doing stuff like that was just almost became like essential just to sort of see actor faces and performances at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all I in all, it was a completely different filmmaking experience than doing something where you can set up any shot you need.
1: You're now limited to very specific shots. Mm-hmm. Almost every headcam shot that you see in the show is actually, uh, isn't the actors. It's done by the guy who played Sniper, Reigns. So he essentially wore the headcam for everybody. Oh. Um I think that's right. Just know I might kind of misremembering that.
5: No, that's right. Because our original plan was to to move this camera around from actor to actor, and we quickly learned that it was actually quite difficult to to wear this helmet for any extended period of time. So we kind of got used to the idea of only the our our strongest guys and the guys who could endure the longest would just do it all for everybody, and that turned out to be Grant, who played the sniper, and he was <laughs> an amazing asset to have on the project. Both in yeah, his he, tactical experience, advising, and then just also his
1: ability to, to grunt through wearing this camera all day long. Oh, wow. So even, like, Kara, who's the, the girl, it's the female homeland security person. Like, Grant, that's literally Grant, like, crouching down, running around. It wasn't actually Kara wearing that. Uh-huh. Um, but an interesting, if you think about that in terms of, you know, business, an interesting element is that we could do this style of production with an A-list celebrity, we could do, we could make a 90-minute feature, and we'd probably only need them on set for two days to get those face shots. Like, everybody, every other, you know, maybe a few more days. But, like, you know, and then we'd need them in ADR. So it's a very interesting concept from a casting point of view that we could make an entire feature around it, a big celebrity, like, without necessarily blocking out a huge amount of their time. That's a
4: good idea. That is a good idea,
1: yeah.
4: And a lot cheaper on your end, too. <laughs>
1: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times with casting big celebrities, it's not that they don't want to do it. They often do, but it's just like time. Like they've booked up for years and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have any time and they may love a project. but So with this style of filmmaking, like we, you know, we really could fit this into the big celebs schedule.
0: With our Response, we did touch a little bit on like procedure. And uh, I mean, it seems very... Heavy in procedure. I mean, they're always they're saying a lot of code. I don't know if I, yeah, codes so the right word. Yeah. So, how accurate
4: but... <laughs> is is everything they're saying? How did you go about researching that?
5: Well, um, the original intention was to try and be as authentic as possible, and we um, worked with Grant again, who played the sniper in the series, who has a lot of experience in his history working on tactical teams and working for various government agencies, and just a lot of um, experience in that world. So we drew off him a lot. Well, the reality is when you're working micro-budget, a lot of what you're doing is dictated by the resources you have available to you and the time you have to shoot something. So, uh, you know, we strive to be as authentic as possible, but ultimately I think entertainment value trumped authenticity some of the time. And so there's kind of a blend of both. And the uh, the other reality is that we're working with the cast of actors and we don't have the budget or the time to put them through you know, a two-week boot camp in, in tactical training like they would on any major feature. Mm-hmm. So to get them comfortable and working with weapons and moving as a team, it's like they they're doing the absolute best they can on the day of as opposed to having that drilled into their brain for weeks at a time ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a mix between what's entertaining and what is authentic at the end of the day, I think.
1: I think like... You know, going off some of the comments that you see on YouTube on this, like a lot of people are focused on that. Like, is it real? Is it not? And like, you see a lot of comments like, "Oh, this would never happen." This would-. <laughs> like, I think, I think that we, we never set out to make something that is absolutely real. Like, this isn't zero dark thirty. Like, this is much more like we wanted to do something entertaining. Like, you know, I, 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 and at least I thought of it uh, as, as like the A team or like you know one of those 80s cartoons in, in, in a way like where we were kind of trying to be entertaining and kind of take you know like 24 like 24 is not real it, it, mm-hmm. but, oh
4: uh, no it's yeah. not real or, i'm just kidding, sorry.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's totally improbable obviously that all of these things happen in the 24-hour period and the storylines but we wanted that like we wanted the plot twists and and all that so we never you know we have a bomb diffusal scene like we never set out for this to be like found footage and sell people on the reality of it we always wanted it to be found footage style but like 24-esque kind of storytelling so it's interesting for for me at least to kind of read those comments online because you know people are kind of like oh well this you know this this guy's like from the LAPD you know training department like commenting online oh this isn't our procedure we would never do this and I think to a degree like we never tried to set out to make it (laughs)
4: <laughs> right, you never to said to it was a documentary.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's supposed to be entertaining. It's a fantasy in, in some ways. but shot in that real style. And like
5: the timeline that we were trying to squeeze into 20 minutes, I mean, when you're shooting something for the web, it just has to, you know, one one twist after another after another and things just have to come right, you know, stacked right on top of each other. And we don't have time to really linger and, and let things breathe as much as you would with you know, a movie or a TV show. And yeah. so also dictated sort of how things escalated much faster than they would in real life, in which case something like this would probably take all day and all night and in some sort of a standoff where nothing happens until the very end.
0: Yeah. So.
4: You know, that it's it's not real. I mean, if that was someone's actual day at work, everybody would be dead in a week. <laughs> right. If nothing else, from yeah, sheer then, exhaustion.
1: <laughs> and that, I think just from, producing for the web and being a web producer, uh, you know, which, which is very much my background. Like now when I watch feature movies, like I, I find it hard to concentrate sometimes, like it's that kind of quick turnaround of plot points and and story ideas that, you know, you have on the web is much, much slower in feature films. So we were kind of tapping into into that, I think a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. I know, uh, you produced a number of uh, web series and one of them is easy to assemble uh, yep. which is very, you know very popular sponsored by IKEA. And a common yep. question I hear from web series creators because we interview a lot of them mm-hmm. you know over time. Uh they're always asking about you know how do they get a sponsor, you know? And uh, and, and of course your easy to is one of the uh examples people uh mention. Do you have any tips for them on how they could possibly get a sponsor like that?
1: Um yeah, I mean I think I question whether that model is totally current in the present time i think it's a great model and and sxm as a company we not just with ikea but with samsung we've over the last three years we've done a hell of a lot of productions for samsung and um different shows which they've sponsored and commercials and that kind of stuff and it's it's it's, it's fantastic if you can get it to work and you and you like the brand that you're working with but it's incredibly hard to to get the brand to back your ideas and I think the current I think currently with brands, branded entertainment for consumer products like phones and like furniture, like they're not as interested in branded entertainment in 2013. that could very much switch back uh, in 2014 but I think marketing budgets in 2013 are very much focused on social media. so if I was to give advice to a web series creator uh, in 2013, I would say probably brands at the moment are not the way to go. I just don't think that they're interested in spending money in this space. I think that it's a fantastic way for them to spend money, but like I think that at the moment they're trying to figure out how to maximize their Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts, doing all of that stuff. So I think I, if I was a web series creator, I would. and you, you see that with what SXM's doing at the moment, like this break project and the Vivo series we're doing, and we're very much focused on, on doing original entertainment focusing on YouTube channels and, and networks and people who are, who are spending money online. Uh, I think that there's less money without brands at the moment, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a little bit more control. Arm um, response could never be made with a brand. No brand would ever, you know, no, <laughs> no like a, a video game or a movie might sponsor it, as they ended up doing. But, like, you know, IKEA would never sponsor Arm um, response. It's, <laughs> it's just too violent. Um, you
4: can see, like AT and T um, trying to put up things on the Conexes.
0: I can, I can see. You know, you're getting shot. And you're like, Let's jump behind this couch from IKEA.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they
0: can handle these bullets, <laughs> right? <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I think that they should. And uh, and and Justin's project, Action Heroes Guide, like is, is to me is like an amazing branded entertainment project in the making. But it's getting brands to sign off on something where people are getting shot. Uh, even if it's in a comic way, is is very hard. You know, I think overall, in 2013, getting brands to fund projects is, is a tough sell this year. That may change back, but if I was a web series creator, or I am a web series creator, but if, if I was like, advising a web series creator, I'd say, don't go after brands. Go after, like, some of these channels and networks and try and sell your idea there. Mm-hmm.
0: I think
4: it's interesting how you, you know, it, it was a more workable model. And then, you know, here we are almost done with the third month of 2013, but you know, we're acknowledging that it could completely change in just a few months. That's how fast
1: these things change. That's the thing, like SXM a digital studio and like, we have to reinvent our business model every six months. So if you, if you look at our shows, you know, 2008, we did easy to assemble like through 2011, we were working with, with Samsung and we were very much brand focused. And I think the whole model has shifted. And, you know, in 2012, you saw Google come in and invest a lot of money on YouTube channels. And at that point, the model shifted to original productions for the web. So you saw these big YouTube people suddenly become hot. So that's like people like Freddie Wong or Ray Williams Johnson and the companies that kind of rep them, like Maker Studios or, or, uh, or Fullscreen. Uh, and and that, that's the kind of hot model of the moment but now the kind of Google investment is kind of a little bit up in the air. So like we're in an interesting stage at the moment, a kind of transitional stage where uh, it's incredibly creative, but, but but nobody's quite sure where the business model is without brands, and without Google, mm-hmm. like where's the, where's the, where's the business model.
0: Yeah.
1: But yeah I've heard a lot it, of it. And that, that, that was for me a big thing about South by Southwest was it was incredibly creative to be there and to, there were so many people who were doing crazy stuff on the web, like everyone, like like a lot of people, like I've given up trying to figure out you know, the, the business model. Like I just do it because I love it. And that at least for me was our response. Like we, you know, to me, like being on set with Justin and, and that creative process at 6am in a port trying to make this thing happen was, was the reward in and of itself. And hopefully we'll get some stuff coming, coming off it. But I think, A lot of web series creators are at the same point at the moment where we're doing it because, you know, we kind of passionately believe in it. And, you know, the business model keeps shifting on us. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it does for sure. I know we hear a lot of frustration by web series creators sometimes as they're trying to figure it out. Just as you start to figure it out, it It changes. changes.
1: (laughs) Um, As soon as it gets figured out, as soon as, like, you can package it up and figure it out, like, it will lose you know, big companies will get involved and it will become structured just like television and will be a set way of doing it. So at, at the moment, there's huge you know, there's huge problems with it, but at the same time, there's huge creative flexibility with it. Um, but <clears throat> the moment that it gets figured out and there's a set way of doing it, that will change and you know, it'll be like TV where there's this, you know, you go in and pitch a TV show, there's this, there's this very set set of rules and way of doing it uh, you know, that's been done for like thirty years or so. Yeah. So that, to me, is is what I love about the web is you can totally reinvent it, which is a little bit what we tried to do with our response. You know, you know, this is you know trying to do something totally new. Uh, at least we thought it was. You know, from our perspective, it was new. Um, but and you can't you can't really. It's hard to do that in TV.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a real freedom to it since you know it there's right. nothing really set yet and we always compare it to like you know a new frontier or the wild west where it's just kind of anything goes at the moment <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely uh, let's talk a little bit about something funny you know you're, you know we got four four or five days to shoot this and moving fast you know was there any kind of funny moments on set
5: yeah the whole the whole time we were shooting i think some of the cat or actually before we started shooting some of the cast saw they were involved with a comedy, which I found <laughs> hysterical, and so the whole time we were shooting all these very dramatic situations, at moments we looked at each other and go, see how easily this could be a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> so we're hoping to make the comedy or the musical version next. A, <laughs> um, a lot of the cast didn't realize they were actually going to be firing live weapons, and so... I think Camille has a very funny video of her cell phone waiting in the dressing room on the first day when we were doing a weapons test fire and she just realized that she was actually gonna be firing these weapons for, for real and had a freak out moment. Oh so wow. all but sorts of fun realizations like um how intense the action and, and being involved was gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um I mean obviously dealing with 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 elements like the horrific stench at the at the sewer pipes we were shooting at and there were awesome moments like when me and Tom and Jeff Dolan, the cinematographer, and our sniper were on top of this giant crane in the middle of Long Beach and we're like, wow, we're actually up here firing sniper rifles off of this crane in Long Beach. (laughs) Just cool moments like that where it was actually happening, for sure.
1: There was a a moment, uh, that explosion at the end of episode three where the bomb vest goes off, like we had we had only one take to do that because we had to like, you know, get kind of rid that explosion and we were losing time. So we were like, we, we have one moment to do this. And we, we blocked it a ton of times and then we filmed it. And that, I think that was the most delaying moment to me. Like when it kind of, we did it and it worked and we were like, all right, done. <laughs> Now, I was
0: wondering how much of it was, you know, actual special effects or how much it was done post and visual effects. So so a lot of it was actual special effects, huh?
5: Yeah, a lot of it was as practical as possible, which is always something I I think looks better when you try and shoot as much practically as you can and then augment with visual effects. Mm-hmm. So most all the gunfire was all real and then we augmented with some muzzle flash here and there in post and then a lot of the a lot of the blood that's in the in the show is is CG because it's harder to do squibs and more expensive to do that but all the blanks were live fire and all of the um, any any explosion or anything like that had some sort of practical element to it that we may have enhanced with some visual effects after the fact
4: I'm thinking if I were acting in it my freak out moment would be more about the sewer than the actual guns <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you serious I, I- I still have my this mental image in my head from that, from that tunnel shoot as, like, our first AD, like, screaming at people and then, like, a huge spider coming down on a strand from the ceiling and landing on his shoulder
0: <laughs> and, him, and him not noticing. And then, like, a
1: grip walking by and saying, dude, there's a massive spider on his
5: shoulder. <laughs> there were spiders seriously the size of baseballs walking around the ceiling. It was...
4: Oh, see, nature right has now, a way of know. humbling you. You can be, you know, at the top of the food chain yelling orders, but, you know... Nature will have a way of putting you in your place. Yeah, okay.
1: nature will bring you down a That's an interesting thing, being a Brit in California, uh, because I come from a place where, you know, there's nothing really that can kill you in England.
0: <laughs> but like, you know,
1: like long ago, we like, you know, there's like wild boars and bears and stuff like came extinct in England and there's no poisonous spiders or snakes. Like in California, you're like, actually that spider might be a black widow, you know, or that, you know, there's a whole kind of, there's a whole level of things here, like mountain lions or flash floods or earthquakes that can like kill you. you Yeah.
4: We got those here too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But the worst thing that you can get do in England is like literally get wet from the rain. <laughs>
4: I suppose you could, you know, catch a nasty, nasty cold and
1: <laughs> in England. Yeah, you, could, you couldn't even. It doesn't get cold enough to like freeze to death. Like if you sat outside all night, you'd be fine. You'd be miserable. <laughs> you know? and that would be. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, that's it. New plan. We're moving to England. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Well, the the owner of Cyberpulse dot net lives in England. Yeah, so he's got it right. He's we'll just go
4: camp in. at his. We'll just go hang
1: out at his place. Well, we nope. should do an armed response thing, you know, like uh, I don't know. Ooh, that's a good idea. Uh, would they have <laughs> an
4: armed response in
0: England? Oh, I think they do now. <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: Terrorism and such, they probably do. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think you'd get as many weapons there. It'd have to be some kind of armed response, like knife yeah. style <laughs> of physical combat.
4: I just remember watching Torchwood and Gwen was like, I don't know how to use a gun. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: and he's like, you need to learn.
0: <laughs> All righty. Well, before we we wrap up, I am curious. We touched on it a little bit already, but uh, since both of you are in the web sphere, especially uh, Tom, um, I'm curious what you think the future of web series is for independent creators. Do you feel that, it's going to become very challenging to become an independent web series creator and over time because of, of Hollywood coming in or you think there's still some, some really great opportunities there?
1: Um, I think at, at the moment it's very egalitarian. Like, you know, anybody, a lot of people have these have audiences and it's great or small, but uh, that's one great thing about not having a business model is that it means that um, anybody can give, Do it, and uh, you know can have their say. So I think once, as you get uh, the big hits uh, online and the big shows, it'll become very much like the rest of the entertainment world, which is where you have a few people who are the big celebrities, big stars, and that's what everyone talks about. But online at the moment, it's a lot of people, great and small. Doing their own thing, and you know maybe they have they're on YouTube and they have like a hundred thousand subscribers, and they're living off that. But that once we get the big hits uh, on on the in the online world it's going to change, and it'll become much more focused on the big stars. And you'll you'll get it'll become more like the entertainment world where a few people take all of the money, as it is in television and film. You know, there's good there's good points and bad points to that.
0: Mm-hmm. The good
1: point is that you'll get more money and the budgets will go up and and that kind of stuff but the bad the bad point is that it'll become concentrated in a few hands i, I think it's the case with entertainment like there's a, in the entertainment business there's a few winners who who take home the prizes and and you know i think we'll see that on the web like it at the moment it's, everybody has you know a chance to kind of say their thing and do their thing and gradually we'll get this big success stories and those people will you know take over Whoever that is, it will be the least expected.
0: thing. So. Mm-hmm. Now, Justin, I, I don't know if you've done that many web series. I know you've done a lot of films. Is this your first web no, series? Oh, yeah,
5: I I haven't done many web series. The first web series I was pretty heavily involved in was last year. I was a second unit director for a friend of mine's web series called Drone, which was on um, Yum Yum F, mm-hmm. and that was a whole lot of fun as well. But really the last year I've been kind of delving into web series because it's an interesting outlet for filmmakers who are not getting a chance to to direct TV shows and features, which is really what my, my long-term goals are. It's a great way, a great space to work in as a sort of stepping stone to lead up to that. And it's almost becoming that too. I mean, the web series, the ones that I really enjoy and watch are, are the, the sort of more t- high quality, you know, the sort of major filmmaker attached type projects like the halos and the H plus and stuff like that. So, um, it's kind of a new thing, although I've been developing and meeting with companies about web series for years, trying to pitch ideas and all that kind of stuff. Really only been involved in production in them with uh, drone and then armed response mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the last year or so.
0: And, and how does it differ for you Like when you approach it? you just wrap it all up like a feature film? It's like a 20-minute yeah, feature?
5: I mean, I, again, I, I think storytelling is storytelling, whether you're doing it for television or feature or web. I think it's all about telling great stories. And um, finding characters that people want to come back and see time and time again. So, I mean, that's how I would approach any project. Um, And I think that is the challenge with a web series in, uh, in a much more compressed time format, trying to get as much story and character in there as possible, while still delivering something that is appropriate for the sort of online viewing attention. So that's a challenge of web series most of the time, I think.
4: Okay, so now we're to the part where it's, we call our shameless plug time, where uh, you all can let our <laughs> listeners know where to find Armed Response, and also any other projects that you might have that are already out, or that are coming out, that are in the works. So,
5: so
0: go right ahead. Go ahead.
5: <laughs> you want to start, Tom, or should I think of a few? Uh,
1: yeah, I think, uh, it, I mean, Armed Response is, is, uh, is findable on, on YouTube, I'd say that's the the best way to just go on YouTube and type in Arm Response and, and, and you'll find it.
0: Over on, over on Hard Coded, right? That's the channel.
1: Yeah, Hard Coded is, is Break's kind of new action channel, which Arm responses is on. So yeah, search Hard Coded or Arm Response.
5: My personal endeavors right now are trying to get a few independent features going. Um, one in particular, I'm trying to. To do an indie feature with Patrick Warburton, so hopefully that'll be something to to look out for in the very near future.
1: Great. I'd I'd say anyone who enjoys our response should should go and search down Action Heroes Guide to, uh, to Saving Lives, which is Justin's short film with Patrick Warburton because it's it's just an amazing an amazing short film. Uh, there's very few short films out there like it.
0: Yeah, I'm very cu- curious about. It. I mean, I liked Bon Appetit, so I'm I'm assuming I'm going to like it. Yeah. The title's got me
4: already, so that sounds good. (laughs) It's
0: a catchy title. It
5: is. Go to our website, which is actionheroesguide.com, and then you can find that and a lot of my other spec commercial work and other short films at epicimageentertainment.com as well. And then we've been talking with Matt about ways to expand armed response into all sorts of different um, possible feature-length ideas or more episodic ideas, and so... Excited to see what we can put together in terms of the future of our response
0: as well, for sure. All right. Well, it's been great speaking with you guys. Thanks very much, guys. For your time, I really appreciate it. Thank you all for yeah, talking. Yeah, thanks for having us.
4: Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and Road Transformers,
0: and you're listening to Genretainment.
2: Well, thank you to Tom and Justin for taking the time to speak with us, and we wish them luck with Armed Response and other future projects.
0: So that's it for today's genre-tainment. Check back next week with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series.
2: Now, coming up in just a couple of days, we have more web series coverage, this time with the creative minds behind the new science fiction YouTube channel Forge Apollo. Oh, and also a bonus interview with the stars of the new sci-fi series Defiance. And we just watched the pilot, and we're kind of hooked, so please don't miss the fun interviews.
0: And don't forget, you can always check out all of our past episodes of genretainment Entertainment in the archives at SciFiPulseRadio.com. You can also check out the other great shows on this channel, like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and more. And please share, like, and comment on our episodes to show us you want more episodes. A big thanks from us to all of you out there for listening to us. Until Until next time. time.